met in the presence of God. With the angels in highest heaven. With the saints of every age. With the church throughout the world. O God, make our hearts places of peace. Root deeply within us friendship and unity, concord and reverence. That we may grant to one another peace and receive it beautifully. Let us do that thing that we just said we would. Let us grant one another peace and receive it beautifully. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Now give it away. Gathered in God's name, round the living word, gathered as one family in the name of love, gathered from near and far, gathered in this holy place, gathered and friends gathered and gifted by grace gathered in God's name from the living world gathered as one family Friends, on behalf of Jesus Christ, the one who has brought us together this day, we bid you welcome to worship at Old South Church in Boston. We welcome you here this morning, not because it feels better when there are more of you in the pews, though it does, amen? We welcome you here this morning, not because we think the hymns sound better with more voices out there, though they do, amen? We welcome you this morning, not because more people in the pews means more money in the offering plate, though it should. Amen? It really should. <laughs> we welcome you this morning because we take our cues from the one who welcomed all into life with God, and we know that if we do, we are made better by it. So welcome the queer and the straight. The, old, the shy and the bold, the young and the old, no matter where you're tuning in from, what you bring, or who you are, you are welcome here. Welcome to worship, welcome to Old South Church in Boston, and welcome home. I invite you to welcome one another by using the fellowship pads. They are black pads found at the aisle end of each pew. Write your name and your email, and if you are new, we will welcome you with an email. And once you finish, pass it down the row, taking a look at the names of those seated around you so you can better greet one another. If you're joining us online, you can take part by visiting oldsouth.org Sundays. 
Inside your bulletin, you will find a white announcement insert. This is your roadmap to all things Old South Church. And in it, you will find ways that you can connect more deeply, our Holy Week worship schedules, and opportunities to honor our retiring senior minister, Nancy Taylor. And following worship, we invite you to join us in the Gordon Chapel for a coffee and conversation. Or if you would like to know more about this space, our sanctuary, you can take a docented tour by meeting your tour guide right here at the base of the pulpit following the service. We are so glad that you are here this morning because without you, it wouldn't be the same. So let us turn our hearts and minds to the beauty of holiness let us worship God.
Hi kids, it's Pastor Sean. You know that God loves everyone, right? Well, Jesus once told a story to prove it. Once there was a man who had two sons, Maddox and Mason. Now, those weren't their real names, but let's just go with it. One day, Maddox went up to his dad and said, I'd like my share of the inheritance now. So his dad split up everything he had and gave Maddox his half of his inheritance. Maddox left home and set off for a far away land. And when he got there, he started spending his money. He spent all of his money on wild living. He completely wasted all of his money. So much so that when hard times struck later, he didn't have any left to support himself. So one day, Maddox realized that he could probably go back to his father's house because at home, even the pigs ate pretty well. So he got up and headed home. He thought maybe he could return home as a servant, probably not as a favorite son since he blew all that money away. But when he approached his father's house, his dad ran to him, arms open wide, hugging and kissing him. His father was so happy to see him that he threw a huge party with the best food, the best drinks, and the best clothes. Now, you might be wondering, hey, that doesn't seem very fair. Mason stayed home, kept working, and he didn't waste anything. And that's true. But Jesus tells us this story to show us that God's love is a lot like the love of that father. It doesn't matter how much we mess up or go off course, God will always be ready with open arms and kisses to welcome us home. God loves us so much that there is nothing, say it with me, nothing that can separate us from God's love. Just how the father loved both Maddox and Mason God loves all people unconditionally. The ones who do everything right all of the time and those who don't. God's love is for everyone and nothing, nothing changes that. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your amazing love. Help us to remember that when we mess up, we can always go home to you. For nothing, nothing can separate us from your love. And we all say, Amen.
You may be seated. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I believe that you came here today, that you wandered in or sauntered in, reeled in or wheeled in, tuned in or zoomed in, hoping against hope to meet God in this place. I believe some of you arrived with figurative hands on hips, daring us to show God to you. I believe others of you are here out of desperation, pleading, if there is a God, please, please, won't you show me? Won't you prove it to me? I want to believe. Help my unbelief. People like you had similar questions, similar desperations, similar doubts and skepticism 2,000 years ago when an itinerant preacher, a carpenter by trade, appeared in Palestine. And the thing about this preacher, this former carpenter, is this, in his presence, people experienced God, came to believe in God, saw and tasted God, experienced God's kindliness. In Jesus' presence, God, who is as far from us as the most distant star, became so real and so near to those assembled, it is as if God was in their own breathing. Such was the person of Jesus. Jesus transmitted God, he mediated God, was God, is God. And this God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, stood before them, his feet dusty with the road, his hands calloused from woodwork, and his heart, his heart wide open, tender, and ever so kindly. Maya Angelou famously wrote, people will forget what you said, they will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. It was because of how Jesus made people feel that time is divided into before and after him. It is because of how Jesus made them feel that a handful of fishermen abandoned their nets, their boats, their livelihood, and set off on this unlikely trek in pursuit of something so lovely and sparkling that it was worth everything to them. It was because of how Jesus made people feel that we are here today, that this building is here today, a church, not a club, the body of Christ, not a social service organization, a people called to lead with our hearts, gathered around such matters as love, forgiveness, and grace. One of the ways by which Jesus transmitted God, channeled and embodied God, one of the ways by which he rendered an invisible God visible and the distant God near, his stories, his storytelling. 
In Jesus' stories and in his telling of them, an immaterial God became substantial. A fearsome God became tender. A distant God drew near. Listen. God told this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So the father divided up his property between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. There, there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had, when he had exhausted his inheritance, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he found himself in need. So he hired himself out to a farmer who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. So hungry was this young son that he would have gladly eaten the pigs' food for no one gave him anything. Then one day, the young son came to himself and thought, how many of my father's hired hands have food enough to eat and then some, but here I am starving to death. I will rise up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as you would one of your hired hands. So he set off to return home to his father. While he was still a far distance off, the father saw him and he became filled with compassion. The father ran to greet his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The young son, he, he confessed, he said, I am no longer worthy of, of your love. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father turned to his, his servants and he said, quickly, bring out one of your best robes, my finest robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now he lives again. He was lost, and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. It was in the year 1669 that Rembrandt painted perhaps his most extraordinary work, The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's there in your bulletins as an insert, and we've posted it online. Historian Kenneth Clark claims that Rembrandt's painting of this scene is the greatest picture ever painted. The painting depicts the younger son having returned home in a wretched state from travels in which he has wasted his inheritance and fallen into poverty and despair. And let us be clear, the younger son has been selfish and wanton, destructive, his behaviors depraved and immoral. 
and having hit rock bottom and with nowhere else to turn, he hobbles home, defeated, humiliated, a wreck. He kneels before his father in repentance, pining to be allowed in, never expecting to be forgiven. Yet in this story by Jesus, a story minds you about God. The father receives the son with paternal warmth, welcomes him unreservedly, and here's the kicker, forgives him absolutely. Art historian H.W. Jansen writes, it may be Rembrandt's most moving painting. It is also his quietest, a moment stretching into eternity. So pervasive is the mood of tender silence that the viewer feels a kinship with this group. Rembrandt scholar Rosenberg calls the painting monumental, writing, it interprets the Christian idea of mercy with extraordinary solemnity, as though this were his spiritual testament to the world. It represents a symbol of homecoming, of the darkness of human existence, illuminated by tenderness, of weary and sinful humankind taking refuge in the shelter of God's mercy. People may not remember what you say, but they will remember how you made them feel. This painting, like this story, depicts how it feels to be human and faulty, yet forgiven, loved, and welcomed back. It was Jesus' spiritual genius to impart to his hearers what it feels like to be in the presence of our munificent God, what it feels like to be forgiven, though we ourselves are sinners and imperfect and full of mistakes, how it feels to be loved, though we are too often unlovely and unloving, what it is to be offered eternal life, though we are mortal, prey to sickness, old age, and death, what it feels like to be rescued, though it is we who have gotten ourselves into trouble. The year Rembrandt completed this painting, 1669, was also the year that Blaise Pascal's Penzance was posthumously published. And in this remarkable work of religious imagination and daring theological genius, Pascal argues for an experience of God discovered through the heart, not through reason. And as it happened, 1669 is also the year that this church's founders, 28 families, broke away from Boston's first church in an effort to be faithful to the very God to whom we are introduced by Jesus, a kindly God, as tender and forgiving as the prodigal son's father, as generous with grace and hospitality. In this parable, you and me, we are both of the sons. We are the dutiful elder son. Why, of course you are. Look at you. You're in church today. At the same time, we are the selfish, wasteful, dissolute younger son. Look at what we have done, are doing to God's creation. The endangered manatee, Antarctica's conger ice shelf collapsing this month. Australia's Great Barrier Reef suffering its sixth math bleaching. 
We are each of us both, the dutiful older son and the selfish wanton younger son. But the story isn't about us. The story is about God. Depicted here as a father who pines for the one lost sheep, who searches high and low for the single lost coin, who though he has by his side the dutiful oldest son, yet longs, pangs for the return of his youngest son. And upon catching sight of him in the far distance, he doesn't ask questions and he doesn't scold. He rushes out to greet him, draws the son into a warm embrace, lays out a feast, outfits the son in clothing fit for a prince. You, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me. We are accustomed to finding a catch in every promise, to looking for the fine print, the exclusions. But Jesus' stories of extravagant grace have no exclusions, no catch, no loophole disqualifying us from God's love. There are no questions or recriminations forthcoming from God. It's just grace, pure, unfiltered grace, grace that is absolute, undeserved, free, and copious. So much grace as to take one's breath away. And it is ours, it is yours, for the asking. I believe you came here today, that you wandered in or sauntered in, reeled in or wheeled in, tuned in or zoomed in, hoping against hope to meet God in this place, aching to be convinced that God is real and as near to you as your own breathing. The church's proof is in the stories told by a long-ago itinerant preacher, a preacher in whose presence ordinary people experienced God, came to believe in God, saw and tasted that God is good, a God in whose presence the lost felt and experienced what it is to have been found. And the sinner, sinner felt himself, knew himself to be forgiven and offered a fresh start, a do-over, with the whole past erased. A God in whose tender presence the lonely and forlorn felt a company, companioned. And the enslaved one came to know in her very bones that her miseries, her desperation, and her agonies were understood by God in heaven. This kindly God, the God to whom Jesus introduces us, was 2,000 years ago, was in 1669, is still today a revelation. It is why we are so insistent here that the God to whom Jesus points is more mercy than judgment, more forgiveness than accusation. It's why we say here that we are a guilt-free church, unless you do something really wrong. And if you do, if you fail and fall, and who among us has not, you can always come home. The door is open. There is a place for you at the table. Forgiveness is yours for the asking. We have it on good authority. We have it on the authority of Jesus. Amen.
God be with you. We lift our eyes to the hills. From where will our help come? Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, you, the one of prodigal grace, we give you thanks for the blessings of this life. Lead us through the times of trial, the suffering and sorrow, the challenges and struggles, the tired time, despair and bleak places, back to you and love abundant. Be with those who weep or cannot sleep, who have peace, who seek release, and comfort them with love abundant. We name especially Barbara, Kimberly, James, David, Joanne, Tom, Alice, and the family and friends of Reverend David Ebert, who passed away last week. We pray, too, for the people of Ukraine, those fleeing the bombing and shelling of homes, hospitals, and schools, and those returning to Ukraine to defend it. We give thanks for the generosity of so many opening their hearts and homes to refugees. Benevolent God, we also pray for the Russian people. We pray for those trapped with a leader who perpetuates hate, violence, and lies as they live in isolation, as their future lives remain unknown. We pray for Putin. And God, we pray for peace. We are grateful, O oh God, for all the little joys that hold us in times of grief. For a beautiful day, for blooming flowers, for smiles, for our neighbor who cares for us, for the food we love, for leaders who are trying to make a difference, for our sacred spaces, both in and outside of institutions, for the beauty of friendship. For all these things and so much more, we are so very grateful. Fill us with hope, sustained in your mercy, with patience and stamina upheld by your Holy Spirit in your prodigal grace. Transform us that we may be the hands and heart of Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Creator, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Beloved, today we observe one great hour of sharing, the date on which the United Church of Christ invites a special offering that makes powerful change in the lives of individuals, churches, and communities. Your gift to one great hour of sharing is embodying the loving, radical welcome that Old South Church names as its legacy. Your gifts have helped congregations around the country welcome refugees from Afghanistan. They have helped congregations create homes for same-sex couples who flee persecution in their home country. They even support folks here in America who are rebuilding after damaging and displacing natural disasters like Hurricane Harvey. Friends, your generosity to one great hour of sharing is creating the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Christ tells us that in generosity like this, when we hold, feed, house, and listen to the least among us, we are holding, feeding, housing, and listening to him. There are special envelopes in your bulletin if you choose to give, and you can donate online by going to www.ucc.org slash O-G-H-S. This morning's offering will now be given and received.
Let us pray. God of justice and righteousness in faith and hope, we lay before you our gifts of money and self. Receive our gifts of gratitude, the offerings of our lives. Run your breath of creation over them and make them miraculous in their capacity. Purify them with your refining fire and extend them ever farther with your limitless power so that they may serve your purposes and shine with your glory. Thank you for this opportunity to give you blessing and to receive your blessing. We ask all this for the sake of your child, our sibling, Jesus the Christ. Amen. from this place loving God so very much that you love nothing else too much and fearing God just enough that you fear nothing else at all and the blessing of Almighty God Christ our brother and Savior and the Holy Spirit be with us now and forever amen I invite you to be seated as we continue honoring the ministry of our 20th senior minister with memories and thanksgivings Good morning, Old South Church in Boston. This is the Reverend Amelia Nugent Edson. Although I now serve at a church in Maine, I was lucky enough to be part of the worshiping body of Old South Church in Boston and 
to be your ministerial intern and to do much of my training, my pastoral training there amongst you under Reverend Nancy's incredible leadership. So here is one of my favorite Nancy Taylor stories. There was a morning where things went unexpectedly before worship. And as a result of that, and as a result of some miscommunication, I misunderstood which prayer I was reading during 11 o'clock worship. And as a result, when it came time for me to read the prayer, I had not practiced. And I mispronounced inequities for iniquities. Now, you might think that that was a little mistake that no one would have noticed. But Reverend Nancy did notice. And in fact, she called me into her office and she pointed out that I had not adequately prepared for worship, which was correct. Not only did she point out that I had not adequately prepared for worship, but she reminded me that when we worship, we do so for God. That to be inadequately prepared for worship was to show up inadequately prepared to put on something that is for the Lord. Now, as you can imagine, for someone in their first year of ministerial preparation, that was a very intense conversation. And I have never forgotten it. It would be easy to say that she came down hard on me that morning. But in reality, she gave me one of the biggest gifts of my ministry, which was a theological framing for the sort of excellence in worship that you all expect. The way that worship at Old South transports you to another time and place. That is no accident. That is because Nancy, Reverend Nancy, thinks about every detail, every eventuality. And so by the time worship begins, it truly is a time out of time. And not only that, but when I, in my first solo pastorate, was faced with a year of recording my worship services in an empty church, when I and the organist were the only two people in the building. That theology, that worship is first and foremost for God, was a rock that I clung to 
when everything else had been stripped away. I read Nancy's writing on worship, which she has titled Worship Manifesto. I read it to myself often in these past two years of COVID. That advice has made me return to sermon manuscripts, has made me ask more of myself many a time. And the church, my church, and the church, capital C, is better for the, the leadership of Reverend Nancy Taylor reminding us that when we come to worship, we must be prepared so that we can fully immerse ourselves in an act that we do for God. Be well, Old South, and know that your ministry extends far beyond your walls, even here to this rural parish in Maine. Many blessings. Hello, my name is Kate Kennedy. I was a field education intern at Old South around 2013, 2014. Um, and my memory from working with Nancy, I have so many, but one that has come up time and again in my ministry as I um, moved into different settings and became ordained was I was preparing for my first interview out of seminary. And Nancy reminded me that all they really want to know in the interview and in your time with them as their pastor is that you're going to love them. All churches want to know is that their pastor is going to love them for who they are and what they can do as a community. And so I've always remembered that. I've brought it into interviews and into ministry settings um, since then and shared it with friends. And I just appreciate that insight so much. Um, so thank you, Nancy. Thank you for your leadership. Um, I so appreciated your guidance and mentorship while I was at Old South. And I know you've made such a huge impact on that community. Blessings on your retirement. I send peace and joy with you in this new phase of your life. God bless.